episode three of the Big Sky Boneheads podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time. Make sure you subscribe and rate and review and do the things. And if I sound excited, it's because I am. Because in a few minutes, we're going to get to talk to Casey Fitzsimmons. And time is the flat circle. I've come all the way around to somebody that I once bumped elbows with in Detroit, in Montana. And that's weird. And it's pretty rare um, for Casey to do this sort of stuff. He's going to tell you exactly why he's doing more of it now as yeah. we uh, talk to him a little bit later on the podcast. You wouldn't think that the guy would uh, take a big break from breeding bulls to talk about <laughs> chronic traumatic encephalopathy or his opinions on the Motor City or current politics. Well, we literally had to schedule him between calves. Right. So his, his calving season in Montana is a thing, and he is out there tending the cattle. Uh, he, at one point, had to reschedule because calves. Yeah. Well, some. Life form drops in your lap, you got to rearrange your day. So that conversation's coming up in a couple of minutes. Super excited about it, and I think people are going to dig it. He had a ton to say about a ton of things. Uh, but first, real quick, um, we got we to gotta tip the, our cap, and we don't do this often here in Montana, to the state of Wyoming. For, for hatching an idea <laughs> whose time has come, something near and dear to our hearts here in Montana, and that is a, a roadkill operation that you can now just <laughs> plug into your phone it's app based it's a roadkill app yes if i'm going through the the google store and i see roadkill app yes. I'm checking it out 100 percent. and wyoming has a roadkill app so the idea of it is if you run into a what did they say uh, a deer uh, an antelope an elk a, a bear moose. a moose or a buffalo it said wild bison on it yeah and right after you call the tow truck or the <laughs> dustpan that they get the rest of your car with, then you hit the app and you can fill out a tag right there on your app to take home your bison. Let's be honest. You hit a bison, you're calling Aeromed. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not calling them someone else's because they just found your remains. Yes, uh, you went through the windshield after you wake up on the pavement, you hit the app. So yeah, there are people from around the country that obviously aren't going to understand this, but given the uh, amount of wildlife, the diversity of wildlife in the Rocky Mountain region, uh, road accidents are common, and that kind of meat rarely goes to waste. Yeah. Because with all of the outdoorsmen out there that have everything that it takes to process an animal, uh, both of us included, you, you, realize well, you can just hit it. We've got an app for that. Yeah. Quick, send in that tag. And then you scrape what's left of that moose into your truck, and off you go. In some parts of the country, when you say roadkill, people are thinking of a flat possum on a road. Well, that road also kill counts. In, <laughs> partial credit. Roadkill in Montana might be a cow elk on the side of the road with about 400 pounds of good meat. And so there's a little difference. Yeah, it, it happened to me on Thanksgiving night. I want to say it was 2017. Left a Thanksgiving dinner, had a five-mile drive home, hit a deer going really fast. Uh, I didn't think there was much left of it. It was after dark. I had the family with me. I called my buddy. I'm like, hey, uh, if you're interested. And he showed up two days later with gallon bags of jerky. <laughs> Mark, That's not bad. Marked smoked roadkill, and it was delicious. Yeah, if you're so, going to wreck your grill of your car or the fender <laughs> right. or more, get something out of it. Yeah, $1,000 deductible was good for about $18 worth of jerky. So, so hey, Montana, let's work on that roadkill yes. app and follow follow suit from Wyoming. Let's get an app on our phone so that when you see a dead thing, you just push a button <laughs> and then load it up. <laughs> Throw it in the back of what's left of your car and <laughs> right. off you go. Whack them and stack them. Just make sure you register on your phone. 
All right, I am full on having a, uh, a tiny little worlds colliding moment as we welcome our guest for episode three of the podcast to the show, Casey Fitzsimmons, rancher, man about town, former Detroit Lion. If we were to draw Venn diagrams between you and me, sir, there are a lot of points of intersection. Yeah, I think, you know, talking to you earlier about uh, Michigan and having the same, knowing the same areas yeah. and, and then you showing up as a sports guy my last year. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy how uh, life takes you. And, and, you know, you find yourself running into people all the time that your paths have probably crossed at some point in time, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's, I've watched you play for a long time. I'm a, a long-suffering Detroit Lions <laughs> fan. Um I'm glad I'm not, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we all know where you stand. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man, that is a that is a tough putt when you got a line you sit in a room like this for four hours a day with a it's not just bad enough being a Lions fan. You gotta also have a Packer fan rubbing your nose in it. Like you know, you're the dog that made a mess in the carpet all the time. And every single day too. And and then the thing is is we've always kind of drawn the short straw, so I mean, we can't really even have a comeback with them because it's been year after year after year. I used to. Uh, my, Mike might not know this, but I, I I told you this before. I'm I'm trying to remember who it was. I used to watch you uh, play on against the Packers, but I would watch the games at the halftime sports bar in Great Falls, and it was with one of your relatives, my grandma, your grandma, yep. yeah, and she was there all the time, and I would sit next to her, and and. Talk about you know taking your fanship down a level because yeah. I'm sitting next to his grandma with his <laughs> wearing his jersey and watching the Packers beat the Lions and I'm like, well they're doing really good today. <laughs> I'm not going to beat up on your grandma as I'm watching the game. But That's, she was a loyal fan, used to watch every game up there. Yeah, she was. Uh, she loved it. So, well, it's interesting. I'm I'm the third generation of my family to leave southeast michigan and come to montana and and the helena area specifically my great uncle did it in 1950 my uncle did it in like 1979 uh i found after moving here i found pictures of my parents at all kinds of places in and around here I'm like i know that mountain range when was my mo oh i was four um but you did it the other way and i'm you know i've been thinking about that all week knowing that we were going to have you in what it was like for a kid from montana to find himself in detroit when Things weren't great. Like the city was in pretty tough shape back in the day. Yeah, they were going through a, a house cleaning of the police department of the the mayor mansion. You know, they had the yeah. big scandal. Um, but like, I mean, you could probably relate to this though. the The people of Michigan and Detroit and surrounding areas are a lot like Montana folk, right? So they just put their nose down. They grind. And, and they know how to work and get stuff done. And, and they've been through hardships. Like in Montana, ours is through drought, um, prices of cattle and grain. But out there, it's, you know, centered around uh, the auto industry. Right. And so, I mean, they've kind of got the same resilience. And they just find a way to make payments and stick around and be loyal sports fans. And I think that's the one thing, like in Montana, too, that draws a lot of people together is sports. And and in Michigan, it's the same thing. They center around the Pistons, the Lions, the Red Wings, and then you got Michigan State and Michigan, all within an hour and a half, two hour drive. Right. So, um, you've got. I mean, sports has probably been the thing that you know that everybody could correlate. And then Michigan is an outdoor mecca. You know, like I love hard, uh, hunting whitetails out of hardwoods. 
you know, right. sitting there and cause I'm not a very patient person. So it was a new experience <laughs> for me to sit in a tree stand and eat candy bars and drink Dr. Pepper all day <laughs> versus, you know, hiking through the hills and, and seeing elk and, and doing that stuff. So I, I had the exact opposite experience. The first time I got to hunt Montana, I'm like, wait a minute, we get to get up and it's not just sitting under a tree while my dad yells at me to be quiet for seven hours. This is awesome. Yeah. I, can, I can walk around and make noise and things because I, yeah, the, the, growing up that way, you just sit here. We'll see it dark. <sighs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's only so many Snickers and, and oh, Milky boy. Ways and 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 water and Gatorade that you can drink <laughs> right. to keep you occupied. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. And, and uh, I would you know be lifelong Montana, and I haven't even I, I've been, never been to Detroit. I when you get drafted and you go to Detroit, did you imagine yourself liking the city? You speak fondly of it, and and uh, I wouldn't guess that I would like any part of Detroit. Like uh, I don't like cities. Well, contrary to like how society works nowadays, you know, I went in there as yeah, you you read about the stereotypical stuff, the crime, the the carjackings, the robberies and and whatnot. But then when you get down there, perception versus reality, right? So I went there with an open mind, but really the one thing I was there to do was play football. And so my focus wasn't I mean, I I rented an apartment oh, probably three miles from Allen Park, our, our training facility. So I never really ventured out to the off season. So I never really got a good understanding of um, the city for, for a year. And so I never really, and then I started to meet people and, and, you know, I think I have always tried to be an approachable guy and, and I'd go out to local dive bars and drink beer with the locals mm-hmm. and hell half the time they wouldn't know who I was. So I'd sit there and have conversations, got to know a lot of people and, uh, fell in love with it and and i'm a big advocate for detroit because i think it's it's an important city um in our union and 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 not only in michigan but in our country it's just like there's so much that comes out of michigan and hopefully we can get those folks back on you know i think they're doing a good job rebuilding everything and and making it a uh, an approachable city well and there is that lunch pail mentality absolutely it's what i told him you know because he asked me he's like well what did you think of casey as a player i'm like he's one of those guys that would come in with a sledgehammer and just get after it (laughs) and that had to have resonated because you didn't take a necessarily a typical path to the nfl Uh, we just are a couple weeks removed from the uh, the underwear olympics and the combine and all draft protection projections rather we've got uh troy anderson the kid from montana state may have helped this stock a little bit but you had to come in and and really make an impression in order to get on the roster and and stay put you had a nice long run you know uh, yeah i was a camp body really you know and that's the thing that that's the beauty of the nfl you know you can cuss the you know the the sunday games and stuff like that but they find anybody and everybody from all over the country i mean these guys do their due diligence i mean we had every scout from the nfl stopped in and watched me practice watch film got to meet with them um and i'm a uh gonna be a rookie free agent a low priority guy rated in the top 50 maybe in tight ends in the country and uh and so to come in and and do that and then and then once I get there, I'm like, man, I, I belong here, you know? And then right. and then I'm almost feeling guilty like I cheated myself at Carroll. Like I could have performed at a higher level, you know? So well, I think, too, you know, when you're in those situations, myself, the way I look at it is when you surround yourself with people that are better than you and then you start playing up to that and then mentally you start feeling like, all right, I belong here. And then maybe you play a little bit better than you really are just because your, your psyche, you know, is right, so... Hey, what was that like the first time that it became a, a realistic thought 
that you could be on an NFL team? It, it tell you what, the first thought that came to my mind was, all right, I, I might be able to pay off my student loan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so but so, I mean, even the thought of it had to come a little earlier, maybe even in, in at Carroll at some point. Yeah, my junior years, I started getting a little bit of interest, and it's kind of like, um, so I'm still pretty connected. It was like the Troy Anderson thing. I've been promoting Troy Anderson with scouts from Philly, Detroit, hmm. since he was a sophomore. I was like, you guys got to put this guy on your map. Because there's, you can see something special about the kid, right? And so, you know, when I figured it out, and and then you start doing everything differently, you know, you're taking things more serious. A lot, your snaps, you know. I've always been, I practice really, really hard, and guys, some guys don't like that, and so it's because it makes the games easier, and so. But I, it changed my whole demeanor and my whole uh, approach to to the game of football is that I wanted to be I wanted to be great and and then I wanted to prove people wrong, you know, because there's a lot of people that thought he you know he don't belong there. So, mm-hmm. no, that did, well that had to be once you got there, an eye opening experience for sure. Like, yeah, I mean when you get guys out there and and guys you watch on tv charles woodson went first pick that or charles rogers <laughs> went you know he was the first pick of that draft and so to be able to get there and you see these guys and then you you know i mean it's insane the athleticism in the nfl and when people talk about like say a detroit team versus a green bay um there is a really i mean most nfl games come down to the last drive whether you're a good team or a bad team. So, I mean, the talent levels there, when people try to compare colleges versus the worst NFL team, I personally <laughs> don't think it's going to be a football game. No, that's one no. of my favorite arguments. Yeah. Alabama could beat the Jaguars. No. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Maybe Georgia. Georgia, I mean, that, they showed up at the combine when their punter's running a 4-6. I mean, that's uh, – there's some athleticism down there in Georgia. Yeah, what do you think when you see, you know, you're not that far removed uh, from having played in 2000, was it 2008? Um, Nine was my last year. Yeah, yep. 2009. So you're, you're not that far out, but I, you know, I tell him all the time, I watch the combine and I'm seeing a guy like Jordan Davis who's 340 running a 471, and I'm going, well, that's not even human. It's yeah. insane. I mean, do you see that big fella get down the line? And yeah. It, and, it, and it looks explosive. And then I think the thing with a guy like that that's 340, is his ten yard split? Yeah, I mean, it's try, a grizzly I mean, bear. Yeah, trying to be a, 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 a offensive guard, picking that guy up or a center. You know, um, he's going to be a handful. And you know, I guess my only concern with him, if it would be weight, you know, if sure. he can maintain his weight and stuff. So, but you, as you said, as the NFL finds all the right guys. Uh, on the other side of that, I know you're a fan of Cooper Cup. <laughs> can't run a 40 like that and yet is just an absolutely amazing wide receiver and finds space out there against guys way faster than him and that's the thing i think those guys understand is is there's there's straight line speed and then there's football pad speed and cooper cup i mean when you watch him i mean he, he's so smooth and he's it's so effortless with him and his shift in it like one shift from him can set him up to to, to get by a four four guy and he's probably a four five guy four six i'd say he's a four five guy cooper is and he can get behind those guys with just a simple move and he's his football iq is through the roof and so there's so many tangibles and variables to to being a good football player and in the nfl and he puts it all together you know a guy that does the triple crown in one year is i mean that's insane and so, do you take it? Have you taken any relationships uh, from the team with you that you maintain to this day? Because I know talking to some former players over the years, the ones that aren't uh, from the area, 
I, I've, I've found a mixed bag between guys that want to never talk about it ever again. <laughs> it was a paycheck. I'm glad that's over. Um, versus some people like, you know, Calvin Johnson's from Georgia, but he's he's a permanent resident now. He's opening businesses in and around the city and, and really seems to like it. You know, yeah, I talked to Calvin, Gosler Chairless. He was an offensive tackle. Oh, yeah. Jeff Backus. Uh, Tony Scheffler comes out and hunts every year. Um, Will Heller. Um, you know, I stay in contact with Jared DeVries. Um, it's weird. I know all of these. Yeah, Wally, I talk, I talk Wally Rainier, these guys. Uh, Dre Bly. You know, talking to those guys and, and um, whether it be through, you know, messages or sure. text messages or, or social media. But... No, you kind of, I mean, you spend a lot of time with these people. And so, but when you do leave, nobody ever leaves on their terms. So it's kind of like a a, a bad divorce. And so you leave and then it kind of comes back around, you know, like Stuart Schwaggert, talked to him a while back and Kelly Butler, who's up in Canada. So, you know, I try to stay in contact with those guys because you never know where, where, uh, your connections, you, you know, there might be an opportunity to do something and, and it's always to keep doors open. Is there a brotherhood of former NFL players who are now cattle ranchers? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think guys take the the route I did. I, like I tell people, I just bought a job when I got done. So, <laughs> uh, and a tough one, not an easy one. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, the, the cattle industry is so much. It's. A, it was a childhood dream of mine, and now I'm playing it out. So, um, I don't look at it as tough. I look at it as uh, um, it keeps me occupied, keeps my brain working, keeps me. Um, out in front of my kids, seeing me work, and and hopefully establishing them to have a good work ethic. Well, and you just uh, you were featured in a, a lengthy article on USA Today about your your post career uh, kind of life and the way you've navigated things away from from the field. How much is how much of that is about ranching? How much of that is investing your time in something that I'm a farm kid. I, I know for a fact that if you've got even a mid sized farm or ranch, you're never you don't have a day off. There's no such thing. You've got to be going all the time. And like I said in that article, and that was a tough thing for me to go back and revisit. Um, and so the ranch and, and, and being able to have this occupation saved my life. And so I was pretty down and out just due to the concussions and the symptoms I was suffering from and then the lack of help through the NFL. Um, you know, And so the ranching has allowed me to, to work at my pace and allowed me to – to, you know, doing something like this is a big deal for me, you know, when I committed to doing it and, and then talking about it and then now I got to go in and, and follow through with my word. And so, um, doing stuff like this is out of norm, for, out of the norm sure. for me, but at the same time, it's part of the healing process. Um, and I got a whole new understanding for mental health and, uh, having to go through what I did, you know, for, you know, I think I'm on the, the other side of it, but you know, for the past 12 years has been pretty tough. And, um, and, and, and I think we're doing, I would be doing a disservice if I wouldn't speak out on it. And when you see former players go through what they have, and then ultimately you see some of them murder people or kill themselves, it's time to, to stand up to the elephant in the room, which is the NFL and the NFL ownerships. And, uh, um, it's not as, is as, uh, glamorous there's not they got benefits set up and and they don't honor them and so there is some anger towards me towards the nfl but not towards franchises sure you know i mean towards former players it's it's personal with other people well i think the you know i read the article and and it changes uh, even a fan's perspective because i'm one of those guys you know i'm 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 
I'm 55 years old. I've been watching the NFL since I was a kid. I'm one of those, you know, oh, these guys, these were, it was better when they were tougher. It was better when they were, you know, real tackles and real hits. And then you read an article like yours, and it, and it puts a face on the, all of these things that you hear about. And at that point, you reevaluate rule changes and, and the penalties and the things that they're trying to stress to keep these players healthy. And it gives you a dis, just a completely different perspective. Well, like we're just talking about the guy from Georgia. He's 340 running a 4-7. Right. It's I a mean, violent collision. Yeah, like, like, and then you got another guy running a four 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 six. Right, and and I mean, you're talking a whole different. The game has evolved, I'd say, 15, 20 times. I mean, the speed of it, the accuracy, uh, the collisions, and then you also, you know, your gears updated and all that stuff. Um, but it's still violent. Like, I mean, if you've been to an NFL football game, I mean, it is violent. Yeah. I, I try to explain that, and I've been very fortunate that I got I got switched to sports, which is a passion of mine. Uh, my high school, we actually played our last game of the year every year at the Silverdome. That was a huge thrill for me as a kid because the Lions logo was out there and it was a big deal. But having covered training camp, starting with um, uh, Detroit and then uh, doing some college stuff, and then I spent two years in Seattle for the two years they went to the Super Bowl, and you're even in training camp. I try to explain to people, it's like watching a car race in person versus what you see on TV with the speed. You know, the size and strength. Like, oh, that guy can bench press a million pounds. Okay, that doesn't mean a lot until you see it moving at full speed, hitting somebody else. And if you're on that sideline realizing you could be collateral damage and that I wasn't athletic enough to get out of the <laughs> way of something I saw coming, much less a guy that's getting blindsided by another guy who's as big or bigger moving as fast or faster. You know, and I, I think like uh, going back to what Scott said is that the rule changes uh, have uh, are really really good. I mean, I hate we, we I was on kickoff return and, and playing for Detroit, you played that position a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it accounted for probably ten fifteen plays for me. That's exaggerating, but anyway, you know, being on the wedge. And and I've got a tough guy mentality, right? And so when you get out there and you're like, man, I, I got to win and I got I got to hold up this reputation, and you take a lick across the side of your head from a from a 250 pound linebacker running down full speed, it's, I mean, it'll wake your ass up in, in right. no time. And then all of a sudden, repetitive stuff. And so they're doing the right thing, you know. But they're not. I just would like to see a little more care for former players, so we could curb some of the stuff that's going on that. That, that gives everybody in the football industry and also um, athletes a bad name. You know what I mean? Because these guys need help. I understand the state of mind they're in and when they do irrational stuff. So um, I'd just like to see some more, more uh, be a little more proactive and, and less lip service on, on protecting and, and, and helping the former players. Well, and that, that takes guys like you that are willing to sack up and have this conversation in a really frank manner. I mean, if, if for people that, you know, this is a podcast that's happening in the audio world, but you walk in and you look like a guy that used to play football. You're, you're a, a massive dude and not the kind of guy that you would think is going to tell me about his feelings. Um, and I, I feel like that's one of the things we've gotten right collectively as a football culture we like i had anything to do with it <laughs> but in the last five years or so being able to have that conversation um even to the point where now fans are done at least in my experience are done bitching about it being called a brain injury because i remember when they made that designation all of a sudden people why are you calling it a brain injury well that's what a concussion is right it's an injury to your brain let's let's call it what it is and hopefully open some eyes to like this is 
this is the thing that we need to be paying attention to. Well, you take a, you got fantasy leagues where you can win 250k or a million dollars at the end of the year or whatever, and you got a guy that gets a concussion, and he goes out and they're they're bitching about his fantasy player right. not being able to play. That's infuriating, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so you got that going, and then. And then concussions are a weird thing because everybody responds differently. And it could be repetitive, you know, and you could have a guy get his one concussion. It could end his career. And so there's so many variables and so much unknown. And whether they're doing the research that they say they're doing and the money that they're sure. putting toward, towards it is, is is to be seen. But you can't, like, it's not like a sprained ankle. All right, you're going to be out a week. ACL, six months. You know, broken bone, four weeks. You know, it's not like that. Like, you can be out 10 months, get cleared, and be perfectly fine for another eight years. You know, so there's so many variables in a brain injury, and it's so much unknown. And then the CTE thing that's going on that we just don't know enough about. And uh, hopefully people um, kind of pay attention. And I'm a really big advocate of not letting young kids pre-puberty play tackle football i want to ask about that because there's there's your brain's developing and like i mean yeah it's great when you got a 12 year old kid who's in the 90 or the 180,000th percentile and he's bigger and he's beating the hell out of the other team and that's cool until the other kids catch up and then what's the ramifications of that kid those kids had on their on their brain you know what i mean so um that's part of the culture that goes so deep because you know i played high school football but i played from sixth grade to high school and at, even at that age uh at that time a stinger was nothing you know you just thought it, you just got up and tried you played again uh, getting getting knocked out of your senses being wobbly on the field get up and play again and that was at that level for a guy like me so changing that culture and those thoughts all the way from coaches down to fans is is a long process. Yeah, absolutely. And like the the it was like a badge of honor, right? Like if you got knocked out, like you were you were tough, and he came back in and played, and so it's like a a notch in the old hat. So um, yeah, they got a really and then the coaching, you know, at that level, proper tackling. There's I mean, there's so many variables that parents really should really consider, you know, because you don't get that back, that damage back. It's right. permanent. Well, and that's something I'm just becoming uh, kind of acquainted with is my my son's about to be 11, my daughter's 14. I'm starting to see and hear the parents who are entirely too invested in their kids' athletic performance at that age. And I can't, you know, clap when they score. All right, I get that. But like my kid played flag football last year, and they were in the championship game, and I couldn't believe the things I was hearing from parents who were trying to fire their kids. I'm like, settle, Danny, 10. <laughs> what are you doing? Right. You know, putting that kind of pressure on, and you see these kids. There were there were guys that played in that league at that age that were already struggling with it. My son came home upset, like upset when things didn't go well. I mean, as beyond a 10 what year it should have been. As a ten year old, you should be worrying about where you're going to take your bike to and what right. candy bar you're going to eat at lunch, and not not about mom and dad yelling at you from the sideline. Like that stuff. Like my kids do flag football and basketball, and and my daughter plays volleyball and all that stuff. I'm a spectator, and and. When they ask for help or ask for stuff, then I then I offer advice. But I'm not going to push them. I'm going to push them once they get puberty, and 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 try to you know if they if they're really interested in just to maximize their potential. I think you know that's that's your job as a parent is that if they want to be involved in something, you just push them, and and be the positive part of it, and also be the one to kind of level them out and. Uh, you know, do parenting and not being like a, a head coach to an NFL football team. I mean, hell, half, maybe one, 
half of one percent will might make right. you know the show. So well, and you also have a responsibility to be like, hey man, enough about the volleyball. Let's talk about the cows. Right, <laughs> Dad needs help over here in the morning when it's cold. Uh, yeah, well, I got to be honest. This is probably the most I've talked about football since I did that interview because I, I, you know, I'm more into the cow stuff and the and the football stuff, but uh, than I am the football stuff. So. Uh, it's funny, like my kids. My kids don't. They're starting to understand what dad did, right? Right. Uh, and and they think it's kind of cool. And uh, so now they're starting to ask some questions and stuff. But and I love talking with them about it because there's so many life lessons and experiences sure. that they can learn from. Well, and I, I've got to add, the the ranching question is a fascinating one to me because again, I, I grew up as a farm kid, but we were we were just a family adjacent to a bunch of farms. I drove tractors for the farmers. I bailed hay. I dressed chickens, whatever for the local farms. We didn't have but five acres ourselves. Raised some animals for 4-H and did some of that. When you come out of the league and you're like, I'm going to be a rancher. That's not like saying like I'm going to take up scrapbooking. <laughs> you know, how did did you have did you have some business partners in mind? Did you start this thing from scratch? Have to find a plot of land? I mean, how Beverly Hillbillies you YouTubed it? it, right? That's what I would have done. <laughs> uh, did we have YouTube back then? <laughs> Probably not. No, so uh in all honesty, I played football to to buy a ranch, and it's always been a childhood dream. Um and we, what ended up happening is we started looking for ranches after I signed my contract, and we drove all over the state. And I was I was hell bent on coming to Montana. I, I absolutely love the state, love the people. Um, and so we looked in Lewistown, the Helena area, and then we started negotiating on the place we're at now. In January, we made an offer. They didn't accept it, and I got a call in November, and I was actually on the rooftop of Chelios Bar in downtown Detroit. Yeah, Chili's Chili. Yeah, we were partying. I know it well. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, uh, I ended up working a deal out on the phone at, at uh, midnight, 10 o'clock Montana, t- Mountain Time. And, oh, you, oh, you guys were partying. Yeah. <laughs> You're up on the top <laughs> yeah. of that joint after dark. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so uh, got it worked out and then came out. My wife, you know, we she she, she didn't know what we were doing. I, I mean, she just – my wife's awesome because she just jumps in and, and we go. And uh, – and so we got that done, and then we bought a small herd of cows and started small, and we had a lot of little problems. Like, and I'm like, well, this is this doesn't seem very profitable. <laughs> Spend all all year raise these thirty cows, I make seventeen thousand dollars. This is man, I might as well be a high school teacher in right in uh, Chester, you know. Um, and so for so we did that, and and then we just expanded, and and then and then talking to people, you know, it's like any job asking questions um research and stuff and and mostly it's just trial by error well and you said you bought a small herd of cows you can just do that <laughs> like that's that's the scary thing okay i think about the farmers i i knew growing up and some of the guys that i even worked for and they wouldn't be good at anything else like i wouldn't want them doing any you know turning a wrench running a welder maybe but that was about it and yet they will turn anybody with the money loose. Like, okay, here's your thirty cows. Yeah, there's no background check. They're not making sure you're taking them to a pal- you know, a nice spot of land. If you want to you go just, get a cat, they, there's just, paperwork, and you have to, you know, yeah. tell them your show them your property <laughs> right. owner or get permission from a landlord. You got cows, you just put them in a trailer, and they're off. At the least you got away. a way to get them out of here. You can have them. <laughs> yeah, go to the sale barn, you write the check, and now you're in the cattle business. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you probably put a couple up in Montana City. You know, you never know. The market's trending up. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've been uh, I've been ducking the horse pasture thing since we bought our spot because it's fenced and everything, and my daughter is 
all the way on board with that, and she's leaving for college in a few years. I, I, I think that's a great idea. I yeah, can sell you hay. And, everybody and does. And you could actually, you know, feel the the effects of being a livestock owner. You know, it's a great write off. And yet you've changed direction with that recently, right? You were you're you're now you're doing like poster cattle. I don't know what it's. So we do registered now, and so it's just seed stock. So we we raise bulls for people to breed their cows to. Okay. And so it's just a purebred operation. Um, and I'm really big into genetics, and I, I always correlate it back to football. So you got performers and non-performers, and so at the end of the year, there's a cut, and then you got this new stock coming up, the calves from last year that you breed, and then hopefully they can replace what you, you got rid of. And right. and so it's like it's like running a football team. If they perform, you keep them. If they don't, yeah, but you don't send them to slaughter if they don't. They, yeah, they become assistant coaches. Well, <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> No, they actually go to slaughter. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they do take pictures of them like the Tom Brady underwear picture, right. only it's just a cow. And yeah. it shows, here's what you're looking for in it. You're looking for these characteristics. And it, it is. It's it's really scientific. I mean, and and, and it, the build of them, the athleticism, the way they walk, the way that they're angled on their feet. I mean, it is like when you go to a bull sale, it's like going to the combine, yeah. except they don't run a 40. <laughs> you know, they circle them around. You walk them. You look at their feet. You look at their head, shoulders, <laughs> through the ribs and the hip. And and the angle of their the way that their feet sit on the ground for to hold up so there's a there's a lot of variables in picking bulls well in in that regard has it been what you expected it to be yeah i think so i mean i didn't really have any expectations because i've never done it you know right i think the real thing about what's what my advantage has been is that i've never had anybody tell me how to do it I've always got to learn it, and so I've got to figure out what be- works best at our operation. And, and in some ranches, you see, well, this is how Grandpa did it, this is how Dad did it, and so this is why we do it. And so they always evolve. They sell their calves at the same time. They do all this stuff at the same time. But, like, to be successful at anything, you got to evolve with times and figure out and find markets that work and, and uh, ways to make money and, and, and also to spread some risk out, you know, um, trying to put – everything into one basket and if something happens then you're 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 screwed you know yeah and, and most ranches are uh, generational and so it's in, in a lot of cases it's uh, it's one one senior rancher has a property and next to him are their kids or their nieces and nephews and you're basically starting that right <laughs> new in in the 2000s which is kind of strange to think about but do you think your kids are going to follow in that footstep like montana families do you know i think my daughter will you know my boys haven't showed a ton of interest in it you know but they're nine and six or nine and seven and um three so there's not you know it's too early to tell gotta work on the three-year-old yeah (laughs) get him up in the the morning now you know isn't it funny i got four (laughs) kids and the in the last one you always let the littler stuff slide like my daughter is disciplined (laughs) as hell because i mean i was hard on her my oldest boy that's my first boy i gotta make sure that you know he's tough and man he's the most caring good-hearted polite kid and then my bottom two are are wilder than hell, you know. So, so I slipped somewhere, you know. So I kind of got to eat it, and and uh, but no, we'll see what happens. I mean, hell, if they choose to, they got an opportunity, and if they don't, then we'll sure they can disperse the money and do whatever they want. Well, I, I mean, I don't have four kids. I've only got two, and I know the second one gets away with all the stuff because the first <laughs> one never touched the ground. Yeah, and then the 
second one's at the top of the stairs juggling chef's knives. You're like, he'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> he'll cut himself and realize that's a dumb idea. Trial by error. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As part of the rancher thing, uh, you're a landowner. And with landowner and you're a hunter, um, you know, we get into so many landowner issues that the perspective on it is purely from us being hunters. Uh, but there is a completely different perspective from you who has to deal with both sides of those things. And and I know there's a ton of issues in the state. Uh, what is it? What is it like dealing with hunters as a hunter who also owns the land because you got people knocking on your door well let's just be honest right it's the one percent that spoils it for the 99 percent. and so you know we have issues every year we have trespassing people shooting animals and leaving them um cutting fences all that stuff Duh. but i look at it and i'm not like well this is how all hunters are because right. i know that's not how it is and so and it is tough because People will say stuff to you and do stuff to your property because you say, no, you can't go hunting. I got a youth hunter. I got an older gentleman in there or, or something's going on. And so I think that uh, the, and social media uh, and Internet and, and, and technology capability has allowed guys to get to spots within minutes to an hour. If someone says, hey, there's elk over here, there's deer over here, you know, and so. It's not like before where you went out and you, you met with the rancher in April, May, and you maybe you did a little fencing and stuff like that. They show up opening day at 5 in the morning, hey, can we hunt? And <laughs> so it's one of those things that it, – and it's a fine line because, I mean, I really love the hunting heritage about Montana, and we try to let a lot of youth in um, and allow them to experience something that they're not going to experience on public land. Sure. And so being an advocate for, for hunting and keeping that tradition rolling through Montana is important to our family too. And so, and then I've got kids that want to go hunting. My own kids, my, my, my 10 year old now, um, he, he gets to hunt this year. He turns 10 in July. And so being able to get him out there and put these kids in safe situations where their dad can work with them or mom and, and show them, you know, what they need to do and all that stuff. So it's such a fine line and I get the frustration from public, but also at times I don't because Montana is one of the most accessible States in the union. It's amazing. Like you go to South Dakota, you're hunting high water marks and, 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 uh, I mean, there's no access in South Dakota, North Dakota. Well, and I and I say this, you're, you've experienced Michigan. I've tried to explain it to him. Like, there is no private land access program. Private means stay out or get shot, or pay the pay up. Yeah, and, or lease it. And the state land that's available, the forest land, is far. Like yeah. from where everybody lives in the southern part of the state. Good luck. Get up over the bridge. Head towards Marquette. And maybe you'll see one that the wolves missed. Um, and that's just deer. There's no elk. There's no nothing like that. I've been amazed at the amount of public land that you and, – and I hear the complaints like, ah, that it's all that's just public land. I'm like, yeah, but it's like thousands of miles of it. Yeah, and like I, I mean, I'm a public land hunter. I love hunting public land elk. And I've got elk in my field every morning. And they go up and, and, but I look at it as from a conservation standpoint that they need a place to breathe. They need a safe spot and we'll let youth hunters in and, and do our hunting to call cows and let a kid shoot a bull. 
And so I like to hunt public land because it's challenging and I like to get out and see different stuff. And so, and I'm out there competing with everybody and everybody sees me on a mountain. They're like, why aren't you hunting your own place? You got elk in there. We just drove by them this morning. <laughs> right. Because it's really, for me, it's, it's more about getting out and seeing new country, doing new things and and the exercise hell i can just get in a buggy you know and and drive to the top of the hill and wait for them and for me that's not hunting and and so and and as the older i get i don't even want to kill them i just want to get into them have that opportunity and then back out and so because when we eat a lot of beef so i feel like i'm wasting you know uh, a resource that can be for somebody else by the way, those ones that are in your field, your wife calls those the easy ones. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I may have, I may have talked to her when you were gone, and she's like, "We don't let you have the easy ones." And I said, "There are no easy ones." <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'm, I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll, here's what I'll do: I'll take you guys out during bow season, and we'll take you out just so I don't have to hear you in the morning show <laughs> complain about your 20 mile walk. Running low on water and, and not seeing any elk. So, 33 years without an elk, Casey. Yeah, I'll 33 get you years yeah. without a bull. We'll get I've shot you one cow my whole life. If, <laughs> well, pe- if people knew what he called me, because I went out on the very first opening day of the very first firearm season that I had the opportunity out here and put down a 5x5, a five five, and he was not and texted kid, me the picture immediately not, not kidding he was not faking mad he was furious like, oh i thought you'd be really happy to hear this and like his friends were calling me names i got people i've never even met like you're terrible and like, huh okay weird yeah people get sensitive oh boy stuff like that yeah as a ter- i learned that the hard way no i haven't had yeah, no one blamed me for calling him all those <laughs> well, names. I'm he probably accused you of trespassing right because oh, that's, that's the next step poaching but, yeah high fence <laughs> no um, orange yeah he, he, like where's your orange <laughs> like i took it off for the picture yeah i got bloody stupid. when i was gutting it out my <laughs> first elk <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was uh i took i took some slack for that but i'll tell you what again being a uh, an east uh kid from the great lakes that a whitetail and only whitetail first time i had an elk snake i'm like oh no this is way better this makes a lot more sense there's like four of them packed into one animal first of all and second of all they taste way better that's what i've heard (laughs) (laughs) it's all right we'll get something done this year (laughs) well the uh the 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 issues between landowners we've seen stuff to now in the state where they're trying to figure out how to stop these sanction or or, uh, sanctuaries where these uh, elk are getting away from from people and getting away from wolves and getting away from pressure by finding their way onto private land and uh we we have views on that what what do you see about the kind of montana problem with this uh with these sanctuary landowners so it, it, it comes down to a couple things and it's not as simple as everybody thinks it is right so you got the outfitting industry in montana which is a big business and it, and it employs and, and spends a lot of money in these rural areas so that's the one dilemma i fight and then you got the out-of-state influence, and you got guys shutting down their places, and and in some cases harboring elk and deer, and so you, it's a fine line because once you invade on private property rights, where is the, where do you stop that at? Like where do you say you start taking away their rights to their ground? Right, and it's unfortunate, but in America. You know, if you've got money, you got a lot more opportunity than other people, and so I don't agree with. You know, they're always messing with the 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 
the regs, you know, and so there's so much inconsistency. And, and for me, it's, there's so much confusion. Like now, I guess I, I haven't read them, but a kid texts me, he says, what do you think about this? And it's about if you got to pick a hunting area to hunt. And see, for me, that's tough because we'll get an odd outside influence out in our area. And if they choose that area, we're just going to get overrun. And then the elk population is not, it's going to do the opposite of what their intentions are. Cause you're going to get a lot killed in one area and a lot, in, not a lot in the area, in another area, like say the breaks, because people are going to hunt our areas after work sure. on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to go to the breaks for a week. And that's usually where they kill. Well, now they're going to pound our area really hard. And then, um, our, our population is going to go down. And then the pressure, I mean, elk, and our wild game and pressure are, is a bad combination because that's where they leave. And so, but with the private property things, you, I say give them the tags because you're not going to be able to hunt that ground anyway. And if they're banging away at those elk, and yes, they're special draw areas and they're big bull trophy elk. But at least it's going to push those elk off that ground and pressure them and give opportunity on public ground around it. And so um, it, 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 there is no win-win in this situation. There's always going to be, you know, the 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 sportsmen's clubs are going to be disappointed and, and upset. And then you're not going to hear the whole story of it. You know, it's going to be fit their narrative. Sure. And so it's it's a tough thing and, and, and it's a mess. And I don't know how you correct it. I think the one thing to start doing is stop these nonprofits from buying deeded ground. And because they're not playing on the same level playing field as, as we private citizens are. And so they're pooling money together and protecting animals or locking up huge chunks of ground and it's eliminating access to us. Another option would be to, instead of the FWP, buying ground to start buying conservation hunting easements through people's property or and so that's one way for ranchers to stay in in business and and afford these um droughts and market dips is to say all right we're going to pay you a set amount for hunting your ranch is going to become a hunting place and and then get it set up to where they're comfortable with how many people or access and all that stuff and whatnot um but it's a messy messy situation and we've 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 allowed it to get this far and so i don't know if there's an end in sight and obviously nobody's gonna not everyone's gonna be happy with whatever they choose how much of your time do you think you spend on stuff like this with the access considering as for me just listening to you it's infuriating to think that i own a thing and anybody else thinks they have a right to it you know it's like if i buy a truck somebody doesn't get to drive it on tuesdays yeah right and that's that's another thing is it's like well and and the, the complaint back is right is you don't own those animals you're damn right we don't own them but when they tear out a quarter mile of fence when you took your truck and, and pushed them across the road and they tore out the fence then i'm acquiring expense i feed them all year i do all that stuff i'm not taking ownership of them there's different ways to go about to gain access and i think a lot of people have lost like the hey let's come up and talk to this guy right let him trust us and understand us that we're going to take care of his ground and hell, most most of us will, you know, when I say us being landowners, we're going to let you in, you know, as long as we, we can see the responsibility that you're going to park and walk and you're going to pick up your trash and, and beer cans or whatever and pop cans and, and, and you're going to take care of my ground like I do. And then you like, if you're a bow hunter, you're picking your arrows up so I, I don't have cows stepping on arrows, which 
people are like, there's no way that happens. Well, it does happen, you know. So, um, and then you're not going to shoot towards animals, and and you know, there's guys shooting llamas and taking them to game right. stations. You know what I mean? <laughs> it so, has happened. Uh, it's 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 a tough deal, and 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 trying to figure out where's the middle is, I think, is it, we're. I don't know if we'll ever get there. Uh, what about wolves? Oh, <laughs> I knew. Like, well, I was going to tell you one. I was going to describe wolves in one word, but I was afraid of the word that might come out. So this is how I explain it to people. So one year we had a wolf come in, a male, and he came in in one night and ate five calves. And so, of course, I'm upset, and I'm ready. I'm on the. I'm on. I'm on the 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 hunt, and um, that's five thousand dollars that just left my pocket and so i always tell him i was like well, how about someone comes into your house takes five thousand dollars worth of stuff in front of you and you walk they have they walk out right. and there's nothing you can do about it you know and so the wolves you know i don't agree with it and I, i'm glad that stock growers stood up to um you know wrote their letter and, and is in support with the colorado ranchers because you've got a situation where this this is devastating i mean and it's not the kills that they do so if you break down a wolf if they're in a pasture and you got two different pastures you got one that has wolves and one that doesn't so the ones that come in from where, where there's no wolves they're going to weigh probably 30 40 pounds heavier and you take a dollar dollar 75 a head 30 pounds on 200 head animals that's a lot of money right and then you go back and you've got death loss and you've got shrinkage in pounds on those calves and then you got open cows that have been stressed out so they're non-breedable so you take them to town and so there's so much more money lost in in the weight and opens you know of, of those cows than there is on death and so that's the thing people don't put the whole picture together is there a place for them absolutely in yellowstone national park and if right. they venture out then they're fair game you know well yeah, i don't think people realize how many how many there are I mean, if you're if you're from out of state there are piles of wolves yeah. in the state and there's pile and the grizzly bears are encroaching in our area too and so i've got children and and we can't shoot a grizzly bear if it's sitting there eating my saddle horse i can't shoot it unless it charges me right and so, I mean, at what point is it going to be too late when they walk through Hart Butte, De Pure, or Valier and they eat a kid? When we haven't been doing anything about the grizzly bear management. You know, we cave to, to these radical conservation groups rather than, let's just use, be smart. I mean, it's common sense. Right. Management tools. Well, and they had the, the camper in Ovando, 4th of July, got yanked right out of her tent by a bear that they had seen earlier that day and i think that's you know and i have this argument with my sister all the time she's like i can't i can't believe the wolves the mountain lions how could you even like all right we were raised in the same house so you saw the same things i did there's a general incuriosity from the people that are activists they want to believe that there's some sort of chronicles of narnia world where the bluebird sits on the shoulder of the bear and they have breakfast and i'm like that's not that's not how this works. Like, no animal in the woods dies of old age. No. None of them. Um, no. and, and when they go, it's a savage death. And the populations are hard because, and I say this as somebody who grew up in another part of the country, anytime you heard about wolves, it was endangered. Anytime you heard about any apex predator, it was always, oh, they're endangered. The grizzly bear's endangered. The mountain lions, there's 10 of them. Like, no, there are 10 of them in this room. We just don't know because they're super sneaky. Um, th there are so many here that it, I think for a lot of people, it's hard to conceptualize a runaway population of an apex predator because for decades, the conversation has been there are only three or four and we have to protect them at all costs uh, to keep the species alive. Species is fine. 
eating like kings. <laughs> Absolutely. They eat better than I do. But uh, like you take in, in the economical impact it has on, like Idaho's elk population just got decimated. Right. And then you got like so, like in our area, like I wish Fish and Game would just give you wolf tags and say they're coyotes. You know, let you <laughs> right. shoot them on site. It's what they do in Wyoming. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what they should do here too. And you know, we've got we've got a lot of big problems due to now. I'm a conservationist. I love the environment because I make my living off of it. So uh, there is no extreme one way or extreme the other. And so I look at our timber, and I see our timber, our forest, in just shambles. And yet we'll spend two hundred and fifty million dollars a year to fight fire. Well, let's just let it burn and regenerate because I'm seeing mule deer population getting pushed out of encroached treed areas that's so down that they can't get from their migration path. Right. They don't look at that. And then it goes back to what you said. These animals starve to death. I mean, the stark reality of poorly managed forest is is starvation because the canopy grows and then it fills up. And then what happens when a fire does go through there, it cooks the ground so hot that nothing else grows back. And so there's just, it seems like we've gone too extreme. Like it's it's right, left, right, left. Right. Or clear cut it or or save every tree and save every animal, kill this, kill that. It, it, there's a fine line. And, and common sense left the building about, you don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Now, how do we have those conversations? That's that's the, where I stumble all the time because anytime we talk about anything that even ventures towards politics, it seems like the everybody with a voice in the room is team red or team blue. They're not going to move an inch and they're just going to shout each other down until the end of time. I tell you what it is. I mean, let's grow up. I mean, in all honesty, and it's hard to have those conversations. I find myself, and I think I'm a pretty understanding, reasonable guy, um, but trying to understand the extremes on both sides like in cattle so i take it i'm a i'm a middle of the road guy like i like middle numbers stuff that works and and as as citizens and as montanans and as americans we got to be thinking middle of the road right not far right far left and the extreme part of everything is the killer you, you know for for everything like if you if you think one way it's, it's it doesn't work out it never does and so I don't know how to have conversations with them because I find yourself, like you say, you get in a shouting match. And um, and and then now there's so many platforms for you to pipe up right. and and say stuff. And then you got people that maybe don't do like their due diligence on research and they see a meme or, or a post and all of a sudden they think that's factual. And so all of a sudden they're going this way. And then you got media companies really pushing narratives i mean what do we believe anymore right it's a me first world but it's also a singular interest world where if i'm a wolf person i only care about wolves i don't care about your cattle i don't care about your hunting interests i don't care about elk i care about wolves and if and it goes for all of the different groups who are involved with an interest there's too many people who don't allow a little balance and it's like anything. I mean, if there's an overpopulation, that in my in my opinion, God has a way to manage it. It's called disease. And so, if you got too many wolves, you see mange, you see them dying and and getting the mange and freezing to death. And in elk, same thing, they get get sick. Um, and then in deer, you get blue tongue because sure. of overpopulation. Um, and so, there's 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 ways to manage it. And I, I I look at a lot of stuff, and I just think, man, we as humans just get in the way. And, um, you know, and then then it takes five years to try to correct a problem 
through the federal level seven years in the state you know you can usually get it done in a year but it's we are always seems to me as playing catch up rather than being like on the front end of stuff being more proactive instead of reactive well, and I know having grown up in the Rust Belt, you know, politicians give a lot of lips or blue collar jobs. We're going to open factories like, no, you're not. OK, that ship sailed. <laughs> and I wonder, you know, as you you're a guy making your you're living off the land, living a rural lifestyle, the people making policies give a lot of lip service. They clean a fish for a political ad. They put on a cowboy hat for a press conference. But do they really have any grasp in a meaningful way? of the needs and the necessity of what you're doing. You know, as a farm kid, I know the value of food. I know the value of crops, but I don't know. I'm a, I mean, I'm, I'm in a minority, a distinct minority in that way. Let's be honest. <laughs> Since when do politicians all of a sudden have the saving grace for everything? Right. I mean, that's the thing is like now we're relied on politicians to get us out of every mess. And I'm thinking, I go down the list of people that are serving and, you know, they're supposed to be public servants. And you see them, big houses, lots of money, <laughs> flying private jets. And I'm thinking, all right, 240, 250,000 as a state senator. Huh. And that ain't making <laughs> yeah. a lot of sense to me, right? And so I look at, you know, the the, the whole politician thing is, is mind-blowing to me because we I know some brilliant people that won't step foot in the political realm. Most. Yes. I think most Absolutely. people, yeah. they and won't be like, sullied by it. Like, and, and obviously term limits it needs to be a discussion. Sure. And then you also have, like, you shouldn't be able to run for office unless you've held a steady job for 20 years and understand <laughs> the private sector of yeah. the U.S. Right. Like, I mean, you know how it works. I mean, right now we're dealing with oil. So every single one of my expenses is just shot through the roof. And and then you turn on the TV and you hear a press conference about how the Keystone Pipeline won't do this and exploration. We got this. We got 9,000 wells for this and they can still drill. People, it's not like an overnight thing. Like these guys have to do exploration on all these public lands in order to get this resource. Let's not fool ourselves. We are not getting out from fossil fuels for a very long time. We just don't. We just can't do it. You know, it's like saying, all right, we're going to pull all your cars and you're going to have to walk. <laughs> there are 6,000 products that come from oil. Right. Everyday products that come from oil. And so 6,000 6, products, that's going to hurt the working folk. You know, it's not going to affect the upper echelon, the elites of, this U, of the U.S. It's going to affect the blue collar to low to, to mid, uh, middle income people, you know, the middle class. So. I, I, the politician things makes me puke. I mean, and and I think about politics too because it's like, do you get involved? Because do you sit on the sideline and bitch the whole time, or right. do you get involved? Yes, I do. By the actions? way, I sit on the sidelines and bitch the. Yeah, that's that's what I've, I've decided I, that's my lane. And that's like the like, uh, like <laughs> the the social media is now has become a political platform, like you versus me. And uh, I mean, we th we're in a mess right now. Yeah. And 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 whether we want to believe it or not, but. Things are, are, are pretty scary right now. Well, the now. people we send to represent us should represent us. And if you're a cattle rancher in Montana and you're not represented, there's something wrong with who we're sending. Absolutely. And then, like, you talk to a politician. And I'm not I'm – not, I shouldn't generalize and lump them all in, but I, I there's a high percentage and a pretty good probability that they're in that category. Sure. But you talk to them, you ask them a question, you state your, your complaint, 
or or your your compliment, and they they take and they answer your question, or are they 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 start on your question, and they take you out, and then they bring you in, almost answer, it, and then they're on to the next guy, right? And then it's like, how much can you donate? You know, right? I mean, I'd like to see politics ran on a grass level or grassroots deal. Like, take the money out of it, because at, as human nature, you're gonna respond and vote and legislate in the manner that's in the best interest Profitable. for yourself. Yeah, yeah, no different than selecting the right bulls. Absolutely. You want the ones that bring in the right money, which is why billionaires get something like a hundredfold more time with their congressional representatives than do normal cake-eating people like us. Right? It's, I mean, <laughs> cake-eating, I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it's it's just, we're in a sad state politically. Um, you know, and like I take a look at uh, Governor Gianforte, who I got a lot of respect for. I think he's a good man, and I've got a chance to get to know him and meet him a few times. And... Uh, he goes and shoots a mountain lion completely legal, yeah. and he gets eaten up over it. Pilloried. It's like, oh my lord! I mean, this guy, this is a guy. I'm like, he's out because anybody that's ever mountain lion hunted, yeah. there is no easy way to mountain lion hunt, you know. And so you have to hike, and you walking in two foot of snow, and it is tough work. And then you got to drag the cat back to 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 a road and get picked up, and gather dogs up, and trying to take hounds down a a forty degree hill is a workout. I mean, you get drugs. So, I mean, this is a guy that is living like the Montana dream and doing the Montana things. And, and, and for media to, 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 to beat him up over killing him outline, like good grief. Like there's a tag, he did it legally. And then mm-hmm. the wolf thing's a whole nother story. And hell out of paid his fine for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, let me, let me ask you this then does, does the life that you get to live here, do you, do you get a break from that? Because I went out hiking yesterday with my wife, and, and she said it. She's up to her ears and stuff with work and whatever's going on with the kids, and you've got this noise always in your life. We've had two years of the pandemic. Everybody's stressed out. And then you get out on a ridgetop, and you see the clouds roll over, and you're like, well, that's why I live here. And I, I, I actually think that people, if they would do more of that, that we, we could find a common ground. You know what I mean? Like, you get on a ridgetop, and, and the world leaves you, right? Yeah. And so, like, it's like, man, this is this is relieving. This is like that stuff isn't that bad, and so I think if more people would get out and experience the outdoors rather than banging away on a keyboard or a cell phone, and go out there and talk to people, like hell, going into a grocery store, you hold the door for someone and they mm-hmm. look at you like you're a ghost, like, <laughs> like I didn't know that still goes on. Or you say hello to them and they put their head down and they right. don't know how to interact with Shoe you. Shoegazers, you know, and like my children, I'm raising them to shake hands and look people in the eye. And uh, I think we all should should really take a hard look at that and and teach our kids to be more interactive in society rather than through digitally. Uh, one last one because we've uh, we've this has been awesome. Um, Aaron Rodgers contract today. <laughs> As we're recording this, the news just came in. Uh, uh, what does a guy like you with your NFL career look at the kind of money that they're paying like Aaron Rodgers? Because you'll hear fans say they're overpaid because they're just they're working for and I'm like, no, wait, wait, wait. He's not an employee. He's a product. And he brings in more money just as any product would. I, I, if they're not gonna pay the contracts if the if they're not making money. And so if the fans got a problem with it, don't right. go to the game. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and the thing of like I got a lot of respect for Aaron Rodgers. Like he really this this year, you know, we got to we got to meet the true Aaron Rodgers. And so uh players getting paid, they deserve it. I sure. mean, it is it's not like uh 
uh, if you don't like it, then quit buying their jersey, quit going to football games, and quit right. drinking twenty dollars beer at the game. You know. So <laughs> well, and I think there's a there's a temptation from fans, and this is something that I learned in my years at ESPN, th- that there's this temptation from fans to go like, well. If I do really good at my job, I don't... Okay, but you're not the one one-thousandth of one percent of high performers in this tiny little needle-narrow ditch of humanity that makes it possible. Sorry, you didn't win the genetic lottery and put in the work and put your body on the line and all the other things that go along with it because it's such a, it's such a tiny little micro portion of the, of the population that could even do it, let much me, less do it well. Let me say this. America's beautiful because you can you can start out and and you can make a lot of money. I mean the success stories. Are you willing to put in the work and 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 come back from the falls and stay stay uh, uh, humble at the top and 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 be able to build yourself up? If you've got a personality and you've got people skills and you've got hard work and a, and a work ethic, the sky's the limit in this country. I, I've seen it time after time that guys that put in the time and are willing to take a little bit of risk to a lot of risk. And, and believing in themselves, hell, you can do anything. So, like, the people that say, well, you were lucky, you were lucky. Let me tell you about <laughs> luck, right? Yeah. Luck wasn't – I mean, there was nothing to do with luck. Right. I mean, and that's the thing is, is that people don't understand that, yeah, you're going to need some breaks, but you're also going to have to have some strength to get yourself off the ground and be like – and quit feeling sorry for yourself because you have to be able to, to put the time and the effort in, and you will be rewarded in this country. I mean, it's, you see the success stories time after time, and you're going to take some lumps, and you're going to have some failures. But once you get past those 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 deals and you get strong because of it, then hell, you can do anything you want. You're going to be a better person if you learn to say "good for him." Absolutely. You know that's that's that'll feel better than the feelings that people get when there's when there's a lot of envy. For the record, I'm not saying that about him. Like not taken, now, not ever. Like I take a look at everybody wants to look over the fence line because it's easier to critique right. your neighbor or 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 your you know uh, other. You know, somebody you know, it's easier to critique them than to critique yourself because self-evaluation is tough, and it's tough for everybody. But if you can do that, hell, I mean, you can move forward so much faster. And, and, and you know, I guess the thing is it's easy to sit there and, and hammer on somebody else and, and then than it is to do it yourself. Well, Casey, that's a hell of a way to uh, to wrap this thing up as you seem to uh, be a guy that ex- exemplifies those things, combining the, the hard work and, and being a, a, a hell of a nice guy. And we appreciate you coming in, man. Hey, thanks for having me. This is a blast. Yeah, we'll do it again. Absolutely. Thanks again to Casey Fitzsimmons for stopping by, and thank you for checking out Episode 3 of the Big Sky Boneheads podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe. Please do that. Uh, we, we, live, we live for five stars. We die a little inside when the twos come in. Uh, so do that, and thank you again for taking your time. We'll be back next week.